Hello and welcome to The History Quine, presented by me, Dr Fiona Jane Brown, from the material that previously appeared in my Evening Express column, which was also called The History Quine. We're going to combine a few stories together now and present to you Aberdeen's Four Marys. I've actually discovered through research that there are probably quite a bit more than four, but here the initial four that I discovered, beginning with Mary Garden, Aberdeen's opera diva. The little red-headed girl from Charlotte Street, whose love of theatrics had been inspired by a grandmother's recitations and Burns' poetry, grew up to be one of the world's foremost opera divas. Her name was Mary Garden. The ignominy of being born only a month after her parents' marriage induced Mary to revise her birth year of 1874 and many other facts about herself in later years. Her father Robert was a cashier at the Blakey Ironworks in Little John Street. Her maternal grandfather was the manager of Dancing Cairns Quarry and her brother-in-law, wealthy granite merchant James Bower, the owner of the Thousand Acre Estate of Pitmurchie. Mary would later claim that this had been her grandfather's property at which she played as a child. Her first singing performance had been at the age of five, trilling a folk song in front of her poetry-loving grandmother and her friends. The Garden family moved to the USA when Mary was nine, her father hoping to build a better life for his wife and three daughters. So began many moves across the States as Robert chased work. Mary's mother, seized by homesickness, wept constantly during the first few months in their Brooklyn home. Mary and her sisters found themselves the subject of great curiosity with their American classmates who could hardly understand their Aberdonian accents. After lessons in piano and singing, Mary went to Paris where she befriended Sybil Sanderson, an American soprano. Through this friendship, the way opened for Mary to join a local opera company, the Opera Comique, to make her stage debut in the lead role of Louise mid-performance when the soloist and her understudy were ill. Mary was sitting in the audience hoping desperately for a chance to sing when opera house manager Albert Carre summoned her. So it was on April 10th 1900 at the age of 26 Mary Garden first sang in a professional capacity. She became a world famous soprano with a 40-year career. Her last years were spent in Inverurie, with the occasional visit to the Tivoli, where Mary was an honoured guest. She died in 1967 at the age of 93. We continue with the second of our four Marys, Mary Webb, composer of the Northern Lights of Old Aberdeen. The Northern Lights of Old Aberdeen, a song popular with Don supporters and Aberdonians in general, but the origin of our native theme song concerns a homesick quine Winnie Forgey and her workmate, Mary Webb, a talented pianist. Both women worked in a hospital kitchen in London in the early 1950s. Winnie fancied the chef and Mary was looking to make extra money to support her husband, Bill, who was suffering from Parkinson's disease. Winnie missed the Granite City so much that Mary promised she would write her a song about her home to cheer her up. At home, Mary told Bill about Winnie and he suddenly remembered an old friend who had been a war correspondent for the BBC. Later that week, Archie Lee, originally from Glasgow, received a letter from Bill. Remember I told you how much I loved Aberdeen when I was posted to the battery? Well, Mary's working with a girl from there, and we're going to write her a song. What was it you told me about the Northern Lights? 
Archie wrote back, relating the story of how his mother had taken him into the countryside one frosty night to see the Aurora Borealis, or Merry Dancers, as they were known back in her native Orkney. And thus, the mortal lines, When I was a lad, a tiny wee lad, my mother said to me, Come see the northern lights, my boy, they're bright as they can be, were penned by Bill, fitting perfectly to the tune Mary had already composed. Sadly, Bill died before the song was premiered in the Arbert Hall, sung by Scott's tenor, Robert Wilson. When Robert found out Mary had never been to Aberdeen, he invited her to come north. Mary accompanied Robert on the piano at the Tivoli Theatre in 1953 to a rapturous audience. Vanishing into obscurity thereafter, Mary died aged 88 with no living relatives. Aberdeen journalist Jack Webster, who met her at her tiny London flat in her last days, arranged for her ashes to be scattered at the Came Hill crematorium. In the city, Mary's song made world famous. And now, Mary number three. And that is Dr Mary Esselmont. What links the lintel of a 1930s social housing block in the Spittal and Aberdeen's late lamented department store, Esselmont and Macintosh? The answer is Dr Mary Esselmont, one of Aberdeen's first female GPs, whose pioneering work with local mothers and staunch support for women's rights earned her both a CBE and the freedom of the city. Mary's grandfather, Peter Esselmont, had been a Victorian merchant who decided to join forces with his main rival, William Mackintosh. They opened the first ever department store in Aberdeen in 1873, only moving to the Union Street premises in 1913 after Mackintosh's death. Mary's father, George Esselmont, Liberal MP for South Aberdeen in 1907-17, took over from Peter in the business, while his wife, Highlander Clementina MacDonald, began campaigning for the rights of the family. She founded the Mother and Child Welfare Association in 1909 and in 1934, with Mary's colleague, fellow doctor Agnes Thompson, raised funds toward the building of affordable housing for young families in Old Aberdeen. The city's Voluntary Housing Association used the money in the construction of the 12-flat block which still stands today on the Spittal. It is little surprise that Dr Esselmont herself was heavily burdened with concern for lo local mothers mired in poverty. Dr Mary, as they affectionately called her, would often take a sack of coal along with her medical bag on visits to her patients in the city's slums to ensure children were kept warm in the harsh northeast winters. She was interested in good practice for her colleagues too being a founder member of the Royal College of General Practitioners and one of the British Medical Council members who helped negotiate with the UK government at the advent of the National Health Service. Mary, who had graduated in arts, science and medicine at Aberdeen University, was the first woman president of the Students' University Council in 1922. She was also the first female elected to the University Court in 1946. Dr. Esselmont died in 1984, aged 93, leaving her Beechgrove Terrace home to the Sora Optimist Society so that women over 60 might be guaranteed accommodation. And indeed, the Sora Optimist Society owned several properties beside Dr. Esselmont's old house, which are still in use to this day. And then we go on to the fourth of our four Marys, and again, one which you maybe don't think of as an Aberdeen Mary. But she was indeed Mary Slessor, Aberdeen Quine who swapped the mills for the mission field. She was born in the shadow of the Triple Kirks in the slum of Mutton Bray, 
named because of its proximity to Woman Hill, where the shepherds traded with wool merchants. Although Dundee likes to claim her, Mary Slessor, daughter of Mary Mitchell of Old Meldrum, and Robert Slessor of Aberdeen, was an Aberdonian. As a little girl, she and her siblings would have played on the bleach greens of the Denburn and run across the old footbridge to the Corby Well, their local source of fresh water, for a drink. Mary's mother struggled to keep her husband away from the demon drink, as Robert was an incorrigible alcoholic. Mrs Slessor was also devoutly religious, a member of the Nonconformist United Presbyterian Church in Belmont Street. A plaque today and the wall of the former Aberdeen Academy, now the shopping centre, records the site of the church which Mary attended with her family. It was here that she first heard of the famous missionary David Livingstone and felt the call to become one herself. Her father Robert decided he would try to make a new start in Dundee, but he tried his hand as a shoemaker. His wife had already been a skilled weaver in the mills of Aberdeen, as she found work easily when they moved in 1859, Mary's 11th year. She worked as a half-timer at Baxter's Mill. That is, she was at school for half the time and the rest at the looms. Three years later, Mary was working 12-hour days but never gave up her hope of becoming a missionary. She taught the younger children at Sunday school and read all she could about missionary work. At the age of 28, after a three-month teaching course in Edinburgh, Mary moved to Calabar to begin her missionary service. By the time of her death in 1915, Mary had cared for thousands of local children and was nicknamed the White Queen of Okiong, the Nigerian region in which she lived. Many thousands of miles from the Victorian mills of Dundee and the now-vanished Mutton Bray, which stretched from School Hill to Woman Hill. So there we have Aberdeen's Four Marys. Mary Slessor, Mary Esselmont, Mary Garden and Mary Webb. <laughs>